0: I was so excited to eat the pancakes that I'm just like, Fuck I it. know. <laughs> just go. And welcome to episode two of Sailor Snacking. It's the podcast where we go through the original classic Sailor Moon, two episodes at a time, with a little break in between for some delicious Japanese or Japanese-inspired snacking. Uh, So, as always, my name is Jen. And if you want to hear a little bit about my love and obsession with Sailor Moon, you can listen to our first episode. And I have my co-host, Tracy. Hello.
1: (laughs) And again... Yeah, go ahead. And again, if you want to hear about my obsession with Sailor Moon, you can go back to the first episode. Mm
0: -hmm. But like we do for every episode, we also have a very special guest, and today we have my best friend, who we've been friends for way too long. (laughs) (laughs) We have Karina. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Karina, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about your history with Sailor Moon?
2: Oh, um absolutely
0: it's
2: (laughs) I think the thing that's so neat for me and I'm so honored to be here is that my history for Sailor Moon really is just tied in with Genevieve we started watching this pretty much right from the get-go the summer before school started and oh I'm gonna date myself a little bit here in grade 10 And we both just loved it right away. I remember, you know, being 90s in the 90s, calling each other after school so we could watch it together over the phone. So many embarrassing memories. And I just loved it right from the get-go. It just was so different from anything else at the time. I love that it was female-focused. I love that the females weren't necessarily always feeling super brave and capable, but they stepped up and made it work and saved the day for everybody. So, it just was such a great show at the time, and I think the fact that I still love it now that I'm a grown woman and Sailor Moon's mom's age, um, I think the fact that it, it still stands the test of time, and I still love it just as much now as I did when I was a teenager and close in age to Sailor Moon.
0: hmm definitely. <clears throat> yeah, a good chunk of our history, Karina, is wrapped around Sailor Moon, like making Halloween costumes from stuff we found at Value Village. <laughs> Uh, and do you have a, fail- a favorite Sailor Scout?
2: Oh, absolutely. I'm Sailor Moon all of the way. Uh, as soon as I saw her, I just I really related to her. We both are not great at math. Uh, I'm a little bit of a whiner, but I can step it up. And I just I really liked the character right away. I found her very sweet and very real. Um, huge, huge, huge love for Sailor Venus as well, too, because she's just so cool. How can anybody not love her? <laughs>
1: Yeah, she is pretty cool. Um, Sailor V, she's, like, kind of, like, laid back and awesome, so. And she seems a little more mature than the other ones. I think maybe Mm -hmm. it's because we meet her later in the series, but um, she's, like, more together than any of them, I think.
2: She always, for Sailor V, show is kind of reminded me of Dawn from the Babysitter's Club books, where she was just, like, the cool Californian and just very laid back and um, just going with the flow, and I really like that about that character. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's a fun call back to the babysitter club books
2: <laughs> babysitter's club forever <laughs> oh yeah feel, they
0: were awesome
2: yeah. <laughs> that's like
1: they. I was reading the babysitter club books around the same time that I started watching Sailor Moon so I totally get that like that that crossover where you're like thinking about the books and then still watching the show at the same time and you're finding all of these things that are similar between the two
0: yeah definitely I, I think I probably read this the Babysitter Club books a little earlier, but I mean, I read all of them. So there is definitely yeah. a girl power tie-in between those the Babysitter Club books and Sailor Moon. And maybe that'll be our next podcast, <laughs> Babysitter Club.
2: <laughs> Happy to come on that one as a guest as well. <laughs> oh,
0: geez, I gotta have to, I'd have to reread all those books. I don't know if I can.
2: <laughs> oh, I don't know if those ones are going to hold up
0: yeah exactly (laughs) yeah
2: i reread the ramona books as an adult and those have so many additional layers reading them through the filter of an adult versus a child those held up and i can't wait to read them with my little guy once he gets a little older but i I don't know about babysitters club
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think she redid them all so there's like a whole new babysitter club series that's like i guess modern because i remember like the big uh draw for the babysitter club books we're on a really long tangent was that i think her name was claudia she had a mm-hmm. phone in her room like her own landline and i was like oh my god she has her own phone and that claudia, was so awesome and she had candy
2: hidden all over her room claudia kishi was awesome
1: she was my favorite ca- character because of the candy hidden all over her room and i was like that's <laughs> how i want to live my life <laughs> and
0: that is how <laughs> you live your life <laughs>
2: I never really had a favorite Babysitter's Club character. It just depended on what I was feeling at that time. Except for Jessie and Mallory. I wasn't really into those two. But there were some days, you know, I liked Christy's spunkiness. Other days where I really liked Claudia's vulnerability. And, I mean, Stacey was just cool. She was a New York girl. I mean.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we totally so, could do this. Uh, club baby- Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so maybe we should jump into
0: the episode three of yes. sailor moon all right so we are going to be reviewing episodes three and four both of which aired in north america in the 90s so the first one we're going to talk about is episode three uh the japanese translation is the mysterious sleeping sickness protect the girls in love uh the dick Dick, sorry english dub title is uh talk radio So this aired in 1995. Um, And. Yeah. So like this one was the basic premise was that Jedi's evil scheme to get energy in this episode is to do a late night radio talk show called midnight zero. And then if he reads the person's letters on the air, he sends them a flower brooch and the flower brooch sucks the energy out of them, which to me seems like a very convoluted plot. Like, why doesn't he just send everybody a brooch with a letter saying, from your secret admirer?
2: Well,
1: I mean, a lot of these plots are very
2: convoluted. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a children's show. How how much sense does the plot need to make? I mean, I watch a lot of Paw Patrol, and I can tell you those are not consistent for
0: plots. <laughs> uh, this did have a couple of things cut out of it from the North American one. Um not very much a couple seconds here and there like the cold opening that they have uh where usagi introduces herself which i kind of love i wish that they had kept that in all of the episodes that's when she you know she says her name and her blood type and that she's kind of kind of klutzy but then she met a magical cat who i love said forces her to become sailor moon (laughs) (laughs) and now i I have to do this (laughs)
2: I like the intro as well, too, because especially if you weren't watching from that first episode, you might tune in and really wonder what was going on. So it would be nice for anyone who hadn't seen the first one or two to actually get that little bit of
0: catch up. Yeah, it's really short, too. It's like 30 seconds. But Mm -hmm.
1: I think that they cut it out because it's a really easy thing to cut out to add more commercial time to like Mm -hmm.
0: sell stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So overall impressions of this episode, guys, what did you think? I thought it was really interesting.
1: So the um we see like her obsession with shiny things. Like she's like, "Oh my god, I want this brooch." Um and then she gets like that shiny pen to like transform and um, the disguise power one and she's like, "Oh, oh yeah. my god, shiny pen." Um so she's kind of like a magpie. I I thought was like something that really stood out in this episode.
0: And her obsession with love starts off more in this episode and in the first two episodes we meet mamoru Darien, but she doesn't really like him and she's starting to have i think more affection for tuxedo mask but i mean this is her what third battle and so now she's really starting to fall in love more with tuxedo mask and the idea of tuxedo mask uh which i think is a pretty defining characteristic of both of them in the rest of it Mm -hmm. what did you think karina
2: uh, rewatching this, I mean, it's very dated at this point, but it still held <laughs> up for me. Um, I really like that, you know, she does focus on, you know, I'm the, what is it, I'm the fighter of love and justice and love is just a common theme. So I think it's pretty natural that she would start having an attraction to Tuxedo Mask and kind of her teenage version of falling in love with him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um I did think it was kind of neat as well, too. When I was watching this, I thought of a few different things just that are a little bit more current that it could have influenced. The whole love letters immediately made me think of the Netflix movie To All the Boys I've Loved Before. And it got me curious about the author of the book that that was based on. And when I looked it up, the author of the book Book is actually the exact same age as me. We're about 20 days apart in age. And I kind of wondered if maybe there was a little bit of inspiration because the main character in that reminds me a lot of Usagi with the love letters and then the flower brooches made me immediately think of sex in the city in the early 2000s where the little flower brooches that carrie bradshaw wore in the show became a very common thing i know i own them myself (laughs) very much into a fashion trend which is probably one of the reasons i love sailor moon so i just thought it was kind of neat that those two things immediately seemed to be things that seemed to be drawn from this episode of thought Mm -hmm. um so I, I really, I did enjoy the episode. I did not remember the villains being as scary as yeah. they were.
0: Like, yeah. the, the first couple of episodes, <clears throat> the villains are very just monstery. Later mm-hmm. on, they get more thematic, um, where they actually are, like, things that are turned into sexy girls, which is hilarious in a lot of cases. And I, I even like that in future episodes, you even get um, monsters with more personality like, these ones are just, yes, Lord, whatever you say. But I know that in future episodes, we start to get monsters who are like, really? Are, are you sure you want me to do that? Or, no, I'm not doing that. You nuts. Which I mm-hmm. think is hilarious. Um, and what you were saying about fashion uh, is interesting because I know that Naoko Takeuchi, uh I pronounced that horribly, who is the writer and creator of Sailor Moon, is huge into fashion. Um, and that goes into a lot of the design of the villains especially in season in Sailor Moon R and also uh, if you pay attention to what the main characters are wearing it's not like every other animated show where they basically this is your uniform and this is your your daytime clothes and you know you just go back and forth between the two like the characters have different outfits that they wear sometimes they repeat the outfits but a lot of times they're wearing different clothing every episode, which Mm -hmm. I find really neat and probably drove the animators nuts. And I think it's also really interesting that they also go back to some outfits
1: too, because then it's like almost realistic. Like you're not going to wear an outfit once and then never
0: wear it again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing about this episode is like, uh, I think Tracy mentioned is the uh, first uh, episode with the disguise pen. Um, I I love
1: I love when she uses the disguise pen. Um, I don't think I noticed it when I was a kid, but she always, like, instead of just turning into whatever she needs to turn into, she always adds an adjective, like, hot, or sexy, or, like, or pretty, gorgeous. gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Which is really hilarious. I don't think I remember that, watching it in the English version, but it's becoming really apparent as I'm going through the Japanese ones now. She likes to add that that descriptor. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think it was still in the English one. I can't remember. I feel remember. like they did keep that. I feel like they kept I feel like it was always like, oh, I'm going to be a gorgeous flight attendant.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and one of yeah. the things uh, I really love about this disguise pen, um, and it was a point that another podcast I listened to, Sailor Business, uh, which if you want to listen to another play-by-play episode of Sailor Moon, Sailor Business is great. Uh, anyway, one of the points that they made is that... Um, Sailor Moon Usagi, as a 14-year-old girl, uses the disguise pen to transform herself into what she thinks will be the best person in that scenario, Mm -hmm. which isn't necessarily logical. I mean, uh, we'll talk about it in uh, a future episode where uh, she wants to get on a bus and save the people who are on the bus, so she turns into an airline stewardess because, in her mind, an airline stewardess's job is to protect the people who are traveling. And since buses don't have stewardesses to protect them, she turns into an airline stewardess, which makes sense as for a 14 year old logic, I suppose.
2: <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't question that when I was watching this when I was younger. Now, agreed, it's very much her kind of becoming a big character in that, or even like a 13 going on 30, where she's very much taking that young mentality and trying to pretend to be an adult like she thinks, which is not necessarily convincing. It was also neat to see her as an adult as well, too, when she was in costume and kind of get a little bit of a glimpse of what she might be like when she's grown up.
0: Yeah. I also, the one other thing I like about the disguise pen is that they, and this is kind of weird, but they give her different haircuts. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like seeing her with different hairstyles every once in a while. Because again, like, it's very common with all animated anything is that you know these are the clothes that the character wears this is the hairstyle that the character wears and it never or very rarely changes so I like that they take the opportunity to mix that up a little mm-hmm. bit and uh, in future transformations we'll get to that when we get to that uh, she has some great uh, costumes and hairstyles that she uses to transform
1: um So I wanted to talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. how this is the first episode. I know it's only episode three, but she like directly tries to
0: challenge Jedi. Yes. That was pretty ballsy.
1: It was. Yeah, it just seemed extremely ballsy. Um, I don't think at this point she realizes the like the level that he's at where she's like kind of like if you're thinking video game wise, he's like the boss and everyone else is kind of like. The whatever you're fighting, kind of <laughs> on level the journey, two. yeah, <laughs> a level two, and um, he's like the boss level, but she like just goes at him, anyways. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, I just find it really interesting that she she thinks she can handle that.
0: Well, and I mean, I don't, I'm like part of me is I'm not sure if she thinks she can handle it or if she's just kind of upset, um, because one of the things that Usagi believes in like the most strongly out of everything is love and friendship. And he's attacking love directly. And I think she maybe is a little bit more angry than she has been. Like she, so maybe that's why she kind of just lets her feelings take the better of her and she goes after him. But I, I don't know. I think she also just doesn't know
2: any better that she's not ready. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's very much when I think about myself at that age, you jump into things that you just have no idea that you shouldn't be doing. There's just that bravado of you that as adults, we look and question <laughs> jumping that, but I didn't question it as a teenager watching this. Well,
0: like no, she the just bad wants- guy's there. She should attack him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I also found it very <clears throat> funny that it's like, a rose appears. We don't even see Tuxedo Mask. He doesn't even get involved. The rose is there and Jedi's like, oh, shoot, a rose. Well, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? That, that's that's what makes you run? You're beating up on a girl and easily, I hate to say, but yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know. I think Jedi might be a little bit of a coward at heart. He's definitely clever, but I think uh, as a fighter, he's not great. Yeah,
1: I think, like, when it comes to it, he'll fight, but he saw an ouch, so might as well, right? Just might as well. Yeah.
2: Anyone else think he just didn't want to mess his hair up? Oh, <laughs> for sure. That's definitely <laughs> the reason why. He's like, like forget he's, it. He's pretty vain. Yeah.
1: yeah. They, all, they all are, though. They all are yeah. very vain, um, which you'll but, find is a, a characteristic
0: of all all of the bad guys that work for Queen, Queen Barrel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think maybe once we go through all of the four kings of heavens, the four generals, we can like review, we could compare them all. But like right now, what we get from Jedi is that he is definitely a thinker. He he has plans and he has schemes and they're complicated and convoluted and have lots of little like moving pieces, but not much of a fighter. Like as soon as he realizes that Sailor Moon has an ally, he's out. He doesn't even wait to see the ally show up. He's just like, gone. (laughs) So, but I think that the future generals, especially when we get to Zoysite, they are definitely fighters. Like, Zoysite is always ready to fight, which I find very interesting. Uh, So, shall we move on to the snack portion? Yeah, I was going to say, do you have any other thoughts about... uh, this episode the mysterious sleeping sickness protect the girls in love uh, it was yeah we're still in early days so the episodes are kind of uh-huh. weird but um yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so that's episode three we'll move on to uh our episode four but before that we are going to have our snack um and in order to that, we're going to throw it over to our past selves in order to uh, review our snack. And, uh, yeah, then we'll be right back again. So take it away, past selves. Thanks, future selves. Here we are doing our snack review. Uh, and Tracy, you want to explain what we made this time? So this time we
1: made um, Japanese souffle pancakes. Um, so they're a lot fluffier than you would have a a typical pancake and we found the recipe on a website called justonecookbook.com and uh they have a video there that kind of explains all the steps it takes to make these
0: fluffy pancakes
1: and there's a lot of steps it says it should take 45 minutes to make these pancakes so and it you know we took about an hour
0: it took like an hour and a half (laughs) um I'll also try to, sorry, I'll put on our True North Nerds website, truenorthnerds.com. When this episode airs, I'll try to remember to uh, put a little blog post documenting our adventures. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so um, Japanese, like, souffle pancakes uh, have been pretty popular, I guess, for the last couple of years. There are a couple of restaurants, if you're ever in downtown Toronto, that make these delicious fluffy pancakes, so you don't have to spend a whole hour making three pancakes, um, and two of them are Pua Fuwa, and that's on Bloor Street, and the other one is Hanabusa Cafe, and that's in Kensington Market. Um, I find that Hanabusa has less of like that um, eggy type flavor, but Pua Fuwa comes with a lot of really delicious toppings, so it really all depends. If you don't mind that eggy flavor, I would go to Pua Fuwa.
0: Yeah, I don't know if uh, any of our listeners have ever been to the Pacific Mall in Scarborough, but uh, they also make these little, like, do- almost like donut holes uh, that you can buy, which I always buy when I go there, and that's basically what these taste like. I think that's kind of what they are, um, and they're so good. Uh, so, yeah, I I really enjoyed eating them. They were kind of a pain to make, but, um, and it was a lot of work for three pancakes, Uh but I think mine turned out okay, and they were delicious. But they definitely do taste eggier than regular pancakes. Yeah, so. I wasn't... Go overall. ahead, oh,
2: Yeah, go for it, <laughs> See, I wasn't... Um, I'm not a huge egg-flavor person, so they weren't quite my cup of tea, but I did give them to my husband and my little guy, and they loved them and gobbled them up. i felt a little bad for my little guy when he came up and said, Oh, well, mommy's making pancakes! And I was like, oh, these might be a fail. I don't know if they're going to be edible, but... They turned out... Oh, they were still failed, but they turned out um, edible, and the boys loved them. So.
0: Yeah, I found them pretty delicious. Tracy, what did you think?
1: Um, Yeah, I think that they're probably maybe in, um, a win over last week's mochi, which I yeah. think you found kind of tasted like Play-Doh. I personally am a huge fan of rice snacks, but I uh, uh, <laughs>
0: They definitely taste better than the mochi. (laughs) If we're going to rank them.
1: Yes. Maybe we should start ranking the snacks. I know this is only episode two, but we can start
0: ranking them. If you're going to start, episode two is probably the good place to start. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So do we have any final thoughts on our delicious snack? Anybody? They were super fluffy
2: again if I had like out of town guests coming and I wanted to make a special pancake I
0: would definitely try them then yeah but you'd have to like quadruple the recipe just because they make three pancakes like seriously it was it was a lot for three pancakes delicious pancakes (laughs) I think I'm going to go to one of those restaurants in Toronto next time I really want one of these pancakes and uh, have somebody else make them for me (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could keep them warm in the oven like I would for regular pancakes, but you're right. I mean, the fact that you have to actually enclose them for cooking with the lid and add water, you really can't just have, like, a big griddle like you would for regular North American pancakes.
0: hmm But, like, having the water really does help a lot with keeping them fluffy and moist and, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say try them once. It's a fun experiment. Um, follow the, the steps. Uh... But it's definitely not an every weekend thing.
1: No, it felt like a remote cooking show yeah. with all three of us comparing what we were doing as we were going.
0: Yeah, like nailed it. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I was I was expecting to get a fail. I absolutely had the failiest that shears both looked delicious and fluffy. Um, and I just had fun just making them. So I would do them again.
0: I'm impressed that mine actually turned out pretty well. I'm like, oh, go me. I can follow a recipe. <laughs> Yay! Yay! All right, so now we're going to throw it back to our future selves to continue with our Sailor Moon review. Thanks very much, past selves. Uh, Those were delicious pancakes. I just gotta... I can't say it enough. They were really good. Uh, All right, on to episode four, which uh, is translated as Learn How to Be Skinny from Usagi. Uh, This was the... (laughs) That's the translated Japanese title. Uh, The Deke English dub title is called Slim City. And again, this aired in August of 1995. Uh, So this one is a quick summary. It's uh, Usagi thinks that she's gaining too much weight and getting too fat. So she decides to go to a gym and lose some weight. And um, there was a couple of things uh, cut from this. One of the main things that was cut... uh, towards the end of the episode where luna is trying to convince usagi to go and rescue uh her friends she basically attacks her (laughs) and like threatens her with her claws which was cut from the north american version for obvious reasons but i was like i liked that part because it really shows luna showing some cumption and she's more than just a passive observer uh but yeah let's start with initial thoughts of this episode uh, Karina, you want to start us off? Oof.
2: Where to begin?
0: Oh, <laughs>
2: this episode in 1995 was already problematic. Watching it again in 2020. Oof. Um, yeah, just the diet culture alone, I struggled a bit watching this one.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that this is an episode that really stuck with me, especially when I was a kid. Um, it's something It's that, you know... Um, I feel Usagi's pain all the time when she's just like I just want to eat all the things, but then I also don't like I I also don't want to get fat <laughs> like it's like this struggle that um I don't know, it kind of like gets perpetuated by this episode.
0: Yeah, I find that, Okay, wanting to eat healthy and wanting to take care of yourself is great and it should be, it should definitely be addressed in some form. But I think the way that this episode goes about it is very problematic because instead of Usagi getting support from her friends and family and Luna saying, okay, here's some healthy food, here's some exercises you can do, here's a, a good way to, you know, maintain your health and your weight, they just call her fat. And Luna draws, like, a mean picture of Fat Sailor Moon, and she's like, this is what you're going to look like in six months. And then Usagi stops eating, and nobody says anything until she passes out, except for Motoki. And Motoki mm -hmm. is the best in this episode.
1: Yeah, he's, like, the nicest person. But I think, like, I don't know if it has to do maybe with, I can't say anything for Japanese culture, but definitely in, like, Asian culture uh, as a whole, from my experience, is that, like, if you're putting on some pounds, your family's gonna tell you, right? And they might not say it in a mean way. They'll just be like, "Oh, since, since Thanksgiving, you you're fat." Um, so that's something that I've I've lived with, in like, my Asian family. Oh. So, um, so like I I understood like Musagi's family just kind of like, well, that's the way it is. I mean like. Yeah, you can exercise. Yeah. Um, So I think like that, like this episode really stuck with me. It always sticks with me.
2: Yeah. And I think you're right. Like we're watching it through a North American filter in our own perspectives versus thinking about the perspective that it's coming from with a different culture. Um, I think for me, it was it was the way that things were handled. For example. I do think that Luna had a vested interest in Sailor Moon and Serena being as fit as she can. I mean, when she's going out, she's essentially, she's a superhero. She needs to be in great shape. She needs to be someone who, you know, if she's not eating to fuel her body and get her best performance, then that's potentially putting herself and everybody else at risk. She can't go save the world if she's not in good health. So I think there's a point that Luna has. I think it's just the way that it's delivered. Isn't necessarily there, and I think also as well too, it's really different to watch it from a perspective of where we're at now, as a society and in North America in particular. That the focus is very much on feeling good, and it's not about a size or a shape. It's just about how you feel, and there's a big movement there. Body has come a long way, even just in the past four or five years,
0: mm-hmm. from where it
2: was. So to take to look at this episode from 25 years ago and that's 25 years ago, watching it in North America, it's, it's hard to really see it in today's
0: through today's yeah. lens, just because it's so different. That being said though, I mean, I think that this could definitely have been an episode that was cut. Um, they don't really, there's nothing really in it that furthers the plot or furthers character development can we talk about Umino being such a creep?
2: Is that pervert? Uh, yes,
0: please. <laughs> development. Oh
2: my god, the little pervert. Oh, he is. Oh, he's worse than I remembered.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. I think they made him less of a creep in the English translation. Fair. But, yeah. But, like, in this episode, he follows their teacher to this gym and takes pictures of her working out. That's really creepy. And Go again, in. that's
0: a, that's definitely a Japanese culture thing because I have seen that pop up in anime, in other anime like Ranma, for example, is the one that I think of the first, where, uh, um, I can't remember any of their names, I'm sorry, but one of their sisters, the, Akane is the is the girl that Ranma's interested in, but one of her sisters takes pictures of Akane and tries to sell it to the boys at the school. So I think that's also a, it's creepy. Don't get me wrong and it's not good but i think that's also a japanese anime trope but it doesn't further anybody like i think this entire episode could have just been taken right out i think if mm-hmm. we were translating it today and bringing
1: it to north america today this episode probably would have been left out cuz it's mm-hmm. very problematic
0: mhm yeah and i agree it like it really definitely is
2: And I agree that it really doesn't further the plot at all whatsoever. I mean, we don't have any new characters introduced. It's not showing anything that we didn't already know. It's just kind of focusing on something that doesn't need to be a topic.
0: Yeah. I mean, the one thing that it does, I guess, is further Motoki. It gives Motoki a little bit more of uh, a character, but even, I mean, he's such a minor character that it's not even necessary. Mm Mm-hmm. I
1: know you kind of hope for him to be more after this episode, but he doesn't really become much. No, because he's just like just like a really nice guy, and he doesn't even do it mm-hmm. to be creepy, which you'll find is a theme for some for guys
0: in anime, right? Like, yeah, Motoki just, is is the uh, the good guy, right? Like we have Darian who's like who's just mean. You have Umino who's a creepy guy. And then you have Motoki who's like the good guy He's like the big brother
2: Mm -hmm. I definitely agree he's more of kind of a Big brother figure than Anything else and there's so many times later on In the series when Many different Sailor Scouts as their Selves go back to him and he's just A nice constant support like Out of all the things that aren't consistent in these girls Lives he is one of the things that is
0: Mm -hmm. And he runs an arcade which is kind of Fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah
2: Oh, arcades. Um, Kids these days have no idea.
0: I know, it's like, <clears throat> dated, ahem.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just a little... <laughs> I mean, it was pretty dated then. I don't remember going to arcades too much by that point in time.
0: Yeah. Um, one of the other things I wanted to point out is Jedi's involvement in all of these plots. I, I'm going back to Jedi again because I quite... In- mm. I like him, but he's he's very interesting as the first main villain. Um and when he decides to become personally involved in these plots as a character, he doesn't really go, go through like great pains to disguise his name. Like no, he in, doesn't. <laughs> in the previous episode, he was Jay Dite, and in this one, his name is Jed. <laughs> it's like, Just... and the other thing, it's like when she walks into the when Usagi walks into the gym and sees Jedite as Jed standing there. I'm like. Dude, you saw you were disguised as a newscaster or whatever, and you were sitting across from him and yelling at him. You don't recognize him at all. I I think it's a little bit of magic, though,
1: right? Because like, how many people are walking around with like that bun hairstyle that she has, and no one's making the connection that she's Sailor Moon. Yeah, so there must be like some magic around Jedi that makes him makes it still a disguise. But obvious enough for the audience to know that it's the same character. And I loved his sunglasses in this episode.
2: <laughs> oh, I found those so creepy. I remember as soon as I saw them come on, I was like, Whoa,
0: stranger danger, stranger danger.
1: It felt like, like it It completed the look of like. Um, of douche? Just like, yeah. Like 100%. <laughs> like he's like, I'm this like, I'm trying to sell you this like package to like lose weight. You know, that kind of sales guy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Just, yeah. There's a lot of raid mm. rage going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and another thing. I don't think we saw it in, in the previous episodes. Uh, we see both Usagi's parents. I think we ran into Usagi's mom in the first one. And Usagi's dad in the second one. Uh, but, but this one, you see both of them interacting together. Which I think is very sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he there. is
1: a good a good dad and a good husband. Like, you'll see the the character of the dad. Um, yeah. We kind of miss it in the episode that gets cut in North America because um, Usagi meets him in the street and he's talking about, like, I think he did grocery shopping for the mom. And yeah. we really see that he's a really good father figure. Like, he's a really good male role model. Um, to have in the family, so I really like seeing that dynamic between the parents.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the parents are so cute together. Like, it's just nice to see that with all the hecticness going on, Nusagi's life outside of the home that she has this nice, solid familial basis that to fall back on.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also a good her her, her family life is a really good way of. Helping her balance her Sailor Moon persona with her Usagi persona Mm -hmm. keeps her grounded. Um, and it also helps her have a strong foundation for her life so she can be that support for everybody else that she comes across in her life. Uh, like all her other friends have family problems, uh, Mamoru has family problems. Um, lots of the people that we run into who are like the one shot people have issues. And I think the fact that Usagi comes from a place of such strong familial love and support is that she's very much able to kind of project that love and support to other people. And which really is a core part of her personality.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really great. Um, And you see that in the meals that they eat together, right? So I think they're like having breakfast in this one together and then her mom calls her down for, like, tea. And then they have tea together. And that's, like, a time for them to share what's happening in their lives. And to talk and just have fun. And um, it really builds that bond that she has with her family. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's then not it, a lot... Of, oh, go ahead. It also makes her, like, kind of relatable, um, I think, to, like, a teenage girl. Because... Um, you know, if you're, like, a teenager, you're not, like, out on your own saving the world without anyone around you, right? Like, this is, we get to see into her family life um, and see that she is, like, a normal teenager.
0: Yeah, and I think that the superhero trope that's kind of been perpetuated, at least in North American media, is that, and I think we probably talked about this in the other previous episode, is that you tend to get heroes and heroines who have no family and they have no connection or they have a very tenuous one Um, you know like they have a distant parent mother or father who doesn't really pay attention to them or they have you know an aunt or an uncle who's like a kind of a relation but not really and you don't really they don't have that kind of grounding Um, and I think that kind of led to the development of these heroes and heroines being uh, more aloof and more you know, like, uncaring and unfeeling, because that that's kind of how they're presented in that media, but I really, one of the things I love about Usagi is that she's the total opposite of that. She is, like, carries everything, she cares about everyone, and yeah, I think it all comes from that really strong family life that she has.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I never thought about it from that aspect. I mean, I very much did not have Usagi's family life as a teenager, and I do remember watching and thinking how nice her family was and how nice it would be to have something like that. And it definitely does give you a basis to actually go out and be able to give more as opposed to still trying to find your footing and not being able and having to take a little bit more. Um, Yeah, that's a really nice thing to think about as an adult rewatching it and, you know, to point my life where I can actually kind of replicate that for my own family, which is really nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
2: Yeah. And as opposed to something like Buffy, where it's, you know, exactly what you're talking about for the superheroes, Buffy's in kind of a similar position to Soggy, but, you know, she's having to hide everything from her mom. Her mom has no idea what's going on, and her mom herself is very aloof, and she really just has to find that support from her friends and her school librarian, versus this, you're right, where she's able to get the support from so many different sources, but it starts at home and just gives her that nice solid basis.
0: Yeah, so she doesn't have to find a surrogate family. Um, She can build her own. She doesn't need a surrogate family because she has that strong family, but she can build and become a family for other people, Mm -hmm. which is what really ties all of the Sailor Senshi to Sailor Moon, even when we get into uh, later episodes with Sailor Moon S and Sailor Moon Stars, uh, when you get the outer Senshi and you get the starlights way in the future. I mean the reason that everybody is so drawn to usagi is because of this family warmth i think and it's one of like it's definitely one of her strongest uh personality traits and one of the reasons why she is even though she's a klutz and a crybaby and you know she's lazy sometimes she is the perfect leader for this group of people she's exactly what they all need She's a classic
2: crybaby in the beginning. As the series goes on, she grows a lot. Those becomes yes. more of something that's in her past versus who she is at Definitely. that time.
0: Yeah. she Yeah, and I think we mentioned that in the last episode, too, and it's going to be something that keeps coming up, but uh, the growth of Usagi as a character throughout the entire series, mm-hmm. watching the beginning of the Sailor Moon Classic to the end of Sailor Moon Stars is, is a great... It's so much growth. Like, she... She keeps that core uh, that we were just talking about, she keeps that strong, but she changes a lot to become what she needs to become without really even ever losing herself, which is admirable.
2: (laughs) And I think that's one of the things that I really liked about the show when I was a teenager, that a lot of shows didn't have that kind of growth. They just would portray female teenage characters as very one-dimensional, and that was just where they were at. I mean, if you think about something else as contemporary to this, like Saved by the Bell, the characters would have some growth within an episode, but it was never something long-lasting. They were the archetype they were, and that was who they stayed. Versus this, that growth that you see really does continue on, and it was really appealing as a teenager to watch.
0: Mm -hmm. Anything to
1: add, Tracy? No, i think that um that pretty much sums it up i mean it's interesting because um to see what is being taken advantage of uh, in both episodes um and jedite's kind of character coming in and he takes he takes like very small things not small things but he targets different things so in the first episode that we talked about today he targets love, and then in the second episode, episode four, um, he targets looks. So um, it's interesting to see what what it is that he's really trying to focus on um, rather than,
0: yeah, I don't really know where I was going with that. Can we cut that out? (laughs) Well, we'll see if Bright gets around to cutting that out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, overall, these two episodes while entertaining and super fun as all sailor moon episodes are don't add a ton to the overall plot other than the creation of the the first use of the disguise pen um but the next two episodes that we're going to watch episodes five and six were both cut from the north american version so these are going to be if you've never watched the japanese version these are going to be completely new episodes for you Uh, And I haven't seen them in forever. So they're kind of going to be super, they're kind of going to be new episodes for me too. Uh, So next time we're going to be watching episodes five and six uh, of the Japanese translation or the Japanese version. So that will be scent of a monster. Chanela or Chanela will steal your love. And episode six is protect the melody of love. Usagi plays Cupid. I don't remember what either of these are about. (laughs) So that'll be our, our fun and interesting, uh, podcast for the next time um yeah any last thoughts anybody or shall we wrap it up for this episode no last thoughts okay well thank you very much for listening to Sailor Snacking and uh yeah you can find us under True North Nerds Uh, visit the website at truenorthnerds.com and uh yeah we'll be back next time for episodes five and six thanks for listening Bye. You've been listening to Sailor Snacking, a True North Nerds production. Theme song, Open Road, provided by PurplePlanets.com.